Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Soccer America, the soccer paper of record. And Nella by Fit Biomics. Not all probiotics are the same. Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn alongside Chris Shamides, Division II Men's Coach of the Year and now the new head coach of the women's program at Loyola Marymount in California. Hey, Chris, before we get going in the program with our guest Jeff Carlisle from ESPN, uh, I want to tell our listeners about a new phone number that they can call and leave a message, a question, whatever they want for one of us or for one of our guests. The number, if I say it correctly, uh, don't correct me if I don't say it correctly, correct it, 424 229 2247. That's 424 229 2247. Okay, so a lot on the program today U.S. women demanding accountability from the Federation for past abuse. Boy, the uh, U.S. soccer and U.S. women's national team are certainly not friends. Uh, Shakiri headed to Chicago, the Swiss international, not the singer. I always get those two confused. And Gio Reyna sounds like a nifty hatchback. He is back on the pitch in the Bundesliga. So good news for the U.S. national team. So a lot to talk about today. But first up, let's talk uh, U.S. men's national team um, about the games that were, uh, the slate that are, that are upcoming, uh, with a man who knows the ins and outs quite well, Jeff Carlisle. Jeff, as you all know or should know, does a great job covering the MLS and U.S. national teams for ESPN and ESPN FC. Jeff Carlisle, welcome back to the program, pal. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Hey, so first up, were you in Minnesota for the ice bowl there? I was. Yeah, I had the luxury, and it was a luxury, let me tell you, of being in a, an enclosed press box. But right. uh, my colleague and editor, Austin Lindbergh, was not so fortunate. And so he be was the in field. the outdoor press area. And uh, I, I tweeted a photo of him. I don't know if anyone saw it. Uh, where he There was not a scintilla of exposed flesh. Uh, on his body. I mean, he had the hat, the gloves, the coat, goggles. I mean, everything. And um, yeah, it was, it was incredible. I mean, I lived in Chicago for nine years, but I've lived in California for over 30 now. So it's, uh, yeah. I've gotten soft in my old age. I mean, it, it was a special kind of cold that, that is for sure. I mean, just walking out to the car after the game, I mean, it, you know, it, it just kind of took your breath away. And I can't even imagine having to play in it. I mean, you know, in, in my very modest playing days, I was a goalkeeper and I, I was chuckling at how Matt Turner was running around the field trying to keep himself warm. But I mean, it yeah. was, it was no joke. I mean, it was, it was just bitter, bitter cold. And, um, you know, it, I can't imagine that the US, USSF will ever do that again, but, you know, we'll see. I mean, it will be at least eight years until we have another, World Cup qualifier, because obviously as hosts, the U.S. will yeah. automatically get in in 2026. So, so t- what was in the minds of – we talked about it a little bit last week um, with uh, Mike Wojtola, but what were they thinking? Were they thinking to try and basically make it a real homer game where uh, people from warm climates wouldn't want to play in the cold? Um, and it just sort of backfired. It was kind of the worst scenario actually happened. You know, I think, you know, having watched Greg Berhalter operate – for these last few years. I mean, he is a guy who's almost obsessed with keeping travel time to a minimum. And when I say travel time, that's on the bus between the hotel and practice. And that's on airplanes getting to and from, you know, the various venue cities. So, um, 
you know, he, he just, he does not want long flights. And so when Canada was, was thinking about hosting that world cup qualifier in Vancouver, the USSF had Portland and San Jose lined up to host games. Right. Um, But the moment that Canada kind of altered course and decided to hold the game in Hamilton, Ontario, you know, two alternate venues were selected and it's not like every other venue was available. I mean, I, I think Nashville was doing some things to their field. Um, Kansas City had some issues. So it wasn't like there was this huge, uh, you know, smorgasbord of, of, of available gotcha. venues to pick from. But certainly the, uh, you know, picking Minneapolis or picking St. Paul, I should say, I mean, that it, it, it had a lot of people scratching their heads, you know, yeah. I mean, I don't know if you remember the ad growing up, but it was like International Falls, Minnesota, you know, and their car starts, you know, it was like some battery. Yeah, yeah diehard battery. battery. Yeah, exactly. And, or I mean, NyQuil. It was, it was exactly that. I mean, it was just incredibly cold. And, you know, they said they went with average temperatures. But, you know, I also do think in the back of their mind, they were like, Honduras isn't going to have the stomach for this. Right. And, you know, to hear Walker Zimmerman talk about it, he said after the first goal went in, you know, Honduras didn't really want to be there. So, yeah. um, I mean, it, it kind of worked, but I mean, four years ago, the U S beat Honduras six, nothing in San Jose. I I mean, it, it, I don't, I don't know how much of an advantage it really played in the game. Um, but the U S won and and got the three points and that's really, uh, you know, that's what we needed. Yeah. I mean, it was a big relief. Um, you know, we talked about it and I, you know, look, the thing we talked about last week as well is we have skilled players now they can play, they can play the game. We don't need to do all this gamesmanship like, uh, that has been done to us. And we've had to try and do in the past. Um, I also read a lot of your tweets. You got a lot of, um, uh, there was a lot about the fields with, uh, what, what did you finally, what was the final uh, decision on that or fact? What did it, was it actually 80 yards or what was it? <laughs> no, that was in relation to the Canada game. And oh, the, Cats so it was. the night before, I think it was the USSF put out something that were, you know, floated it out there that the, the field width was 68 and the, and the minimum FIFA width is supposed to be 70 yards. So, you know, I think it was a little bit of, I don't know if it was mind games or gamesmanship, yeah. what have you, but, you know, by the time the whistle blew, um, you know, it w- it was 70 yards and, yeah. you know, it was narrow, but, you know, those are the kinds of things that happen on the road in CONCACAF, whether right. you're playing at three o'clock in the, you know, 90 degrees, 90% humidity, I mean, or you're playing on a narrow field in cold weather. I mean, th- those are things that you just have to rise above. And, um, you know, Greg Peralta sh- sure talked about it a lot, uh, mm-hmm. but, you know, I, you can you can talk about those things all you want, but you've got to do the business on the field, and the U.S. didn't get it done that day. Absolutely, but I think also, uh, you know, width of a field is is difficult, you know, especially when you're trying to spread things out and open up the play. Chris, did you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it really does make a difference, the width of the field, in terms of a team style of play. And then also, you know, th- this is adult men. So, you know, you put 22 of them out there, and, and when it's more narrow, you, there is a there is a difference. You know, so the ability to play in smaller spaces uh, becomes more important. 
Um, the ability to play out of smaller spaces when you're getting pressed, you know, if you could be the better team in transition, you're going to gain little advantages. So that becomes a part of the prep when the field gets Mm -hmm. to a certain point, there's a swing factor there where the width doesn't matter too much, but if it gets super tight, like 70 ish, uh, or a little tighter than that, it, it becomes a real factor in the game. Hey, Jeff, so Canada's kind of come out of nowhere, right? I mean, this is great. We have competition out of the North and to the South. Um, but has this been building for some years? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, I remember writing about Canada in the Nations League because uh, the U.S. Mm-hmm. got grouped with Canada in that stage of the competition. And, you know, even then, um, you know, Canada looked like a team that was on the rise. You know, they had more guys going overseas. But, I, but also, I, I think for them, it was there were more avenues to really – rise through the professional ranks. Um, you look at a guy like Mark Anthony Kay. I mean, he was in USL for a while and then he was in MLS and, you know, now he's, he's a, a well-known established player. Um, and so you combine guys like that with, with Jonathan David and, and Kyle Aaron. Yeah. And all of a sudden you've got the makings of a pretty good team. Um, I think where Canada was kind of thought to be weak was in center back. But I mean, I think the style they play, you know, very, very aggressive, very physical. Play the way you, we used to play. Play the way we used to play. And let me ask you a question, because I do not know the answer to this. That's why I'm asking the question. Um, because they're a British Commonwealth, do they have an easier path to play in the European leagues than uh, an American? Um, I, I would say, though, um, because I think a lot of times it depends on FIFA rankings. I mean, I know that, that Jamaica oh. has, Jamaican players have run into problems back when their ranking was, was lower. Um, mm-hmm. I can't remember if that's been, uh, you know, if, if they've risen high enough that it's no longer an issue, but, um, you know, certainly, you know, I, I could see where that, that could be a problem for some Canadian players, but um, you know, it, it just depends on, on a, on a particular country. I mean, you know, Belgium has seemed to be a, a, a pretty fertile ground for Canadian players mm-hmm. and, and they're able to, to move on from there. So, um, you know, I just think it's been a situation where, again, there's just a lot of different paths that weren't there before for Canadian right. players. And, and MLS has provided them another path, too. Yeah. In some respects, yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, there's, you know, again, like, you know, I, I point back to Mark Anthony Kay. I mean, you know, Samuel Piet is another one. I mean, he's with Montreal now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the list goes on. So, and then, um, you know, Alistair Johnson is a guy who's, who broke through with, with Nashville SC. And, and, you know, now I think he's, he got traded to Montreal. But, um, you know, guys like that are, are making a name for themselves. And Tejan Buchanan, I mean, how can I forget about that guy? Yeah, I mean, yeah. He's been fantastic. And, and so you just see these guys developing and getting better and better. And, um, you know, now he's in Europe. So they've got them. He's got them believing. And they also play with a chip on the shoulder, which is kind of it, it helps, man. They're they're up for it. You can tell they're taking nothing for granted. So it's going to be it's going to be fun. Let's just hope we play them in a nice stadium. where We can all knock it around. Um, let me ask you about where we stand as a U.S. men's national team now. Uh, it's so funny to, to all the overreaction. And for years, Jeff, all we had was underreaction. Nobody cared what was going on, you know. So it's fun. You, you're always pretty measured with your comments. But what do you think uh, – you know, of the job so far with Greg, is he on track? Uh, you know, coach Burhalter? I think so. Um, but it won't take much for this to go off the rails in a hurry. And, um, you know, I think 
I think he's learned as he's gone along. I think the players have learned as they've gone along. I, I, I remember after the initial window, you know, talking to Conrad De La Fuente, and he was like shocked at how aggressive and physical El Salvador was in that first game. And mm-hmm. so I, I think for some of the players, it's a, it's a question of, you know, how quickly do they adapt? And, you know, they, they until you experience it, you, you can't really – know what it's going to be like. And so, and I think there's been a little bit of that with Greg Berhalter. I mean, you know, some of the lineups that he's put out there, and I think that tended to happen earlier in qualifying. Now, really, the only question is, you know, who's going to start a striker? I mean, that's a real disputed position. Um, But I, I see him, you know, I see him getting better as a coach, making, you know, more, you know, better decisions. Um, but again, it's, you know, the one thing that, that has bugged me a little bit, and this isn't necessarily particular to Burhalter, but mm-hmm. I feel like the U.S. has left some points on the table in some of these games. Um, you know, I think about the first El Salvador game. I think about Jamaica away. Um, you know, you, and, and it seems like every window you think, well, they should get X points, and they always seem to get X minus one or X minus two. I mean, it doesn't right. quite – reach the heights that, that you would expect. So, um, you know, at the same time, they do control their own destiny. I think a lot is going to depend on that Panama game at home. If they win it, I think they can – I think they have a good chance of qualifying, but Costa Rica is coming on like gangbusters, and they could easily run the table there towards the end. And so uh, it's going to be interesting to see how things shake out. I mean, it's – I think the U.S. could justifiably take – a kind of a sigh of relief after the Honduras game, you know, cause yeah. they, you know, they got the job done. They, they got the result that they needed, but you know, there's still work to be done. And, you know, they, they, the run in, I think is the toughest of any really out of all the contenders that are, that are going to those last qualifying spots. I think this is the toughest run in by far. And so, yeah, I agree, Jeff, those, those last three games are difficult. I, I'm, I'm really interested in what you said a second ago about, you know, this idea that it could go off the rails potentially, like you're so close to it. Like from your perspective, what would you think could be the, the little grenades that go off that that could set it off its rails? Like what in your opinion would be some of the issues that might pop up? Well, I think this team has struggled to score goals of late. Um, Especially you know, you can, early. You, yeah. you can point to the fact that it's, you know, this window not only had a lot of MLS players not seen the field, but some of the European-based players hadn't seen the field in a while either or only had played like one competitive game. You know, like Brendan Aronson was brought up as one guy who hadn't played in a while. Um, so, I mean, this is a team that has struggled to score and, and Pulisic has not looked – at his best. Um, obviously, he gets a goal in the last game against Andres. You hope that that kind of gets him going. Um, and obviously, scoring is going to be tougher on the road. And, and those are two venues where the U.S. has not fared well at all. Um, yes, they've gotten a couple draws against Mexico at the Azteca. But, I mean, Costa Rica has been a real house of horrors, regardless of where, the venue, whether it was the National Stadium or Saprissa Stadium. So, um, and then, again, just – it could go off the rails just in terms of what other teams do. Um, you know, like I said, Costa Rica could run the table and, and really make a late push for this. So it's, I think to really be secure, um, the U S is going to have to get a draw either at Mexico or Costa Rica and, and then beat Panama, of course. And 
uh, you know, then, then be, I think they'll be, be in tough. good shape. But all it yeah. takes is, you know, the wrong result or, you know, drawing Panama at home. And, and then you're and then the concerns really start to, to increase. So, well, they yeah, seem to increase. Yeah, go ahead, Chris. Sorry. I was going to say, I agree about the goal scoring in it. And there hasn't been really a consistent threat or a consistent way of getting there. And I know we got some set piece goals the other day, which was refreshing, but that's the part that's concerning. I agree. And, and, and they've mixed and matched the personnel a little bit, but there's a, there's kind of a, a game model that slows down a little bit in front of the goal. And there's sometimes a lack of ideas and it's not personnel driven. I think the return of Reyna might help with that. Just his style is kind of different and ties things together a little bit that, that might suit the team a little. So that part becomes interesting, but you know, Kevin, like this idea of historically going to Mexico, you, you can't plan on coming home with points. You know, and that's what we'll go for it, but you can't plan on that. And so now you got probably a motivated Panama because they're not done yet. And there's a good chance that Costa Rica will be in the mix too. So now you get two out of three against some of the better teams in CONCACAF. As much as as a coach, you put on the the optimistic glasses, we're we're far from qualified. We still have to be fighting here to the end. And that's where it's going to be interesting here. Yeah, and I'm a little nervous. And that comes back to your point, Jeff, with leaving points on the table that we really should have, you know, taken it home, finished them off. Um, you mentioned Christian Pulisic a little bit. He seems like he's struggling. It's not a great situation, it seems like, in Chelsea. I, I don't think the type of player I see Christian as, he's impactful. He's a great player, obviously. I don't think he likes to have that, uh, that mantle, that crown put on his head. I think it's very uncomfortable. Um, I think someone like Weston McKinney, uh, wears it with a, with a much applause. You know, he sort of, he relishes it, it seems like, the attention. Christian just wants to help his team as much as he possibly can. Uh, and I don't think he wants to, to bear all that weight. I think he would, I think McKenney would be captain if he didn't sort of, um, you know, have some of his... Uh, his troubles, which young men tend to do. So, uh, so uh, yeah, a little worrisome. I, you know, I, I'm with you, Chris. I'm worried. I'm worried about uh, this next round because anything happens in qualifying. I remember even with, with uh, Trinidad Tobago, when we were playing them, oh, you know, oh, well, they're, they're at the bottom of the table. I'm like, well, they're putting in young, new guys who have something to prove. Yeah, you know, so it's like, and we all, we've all played the game at the various levels, and it's like, man, on any day, Man City loses to Stoke. You know, it's just the way the game is. And so, uh, that, that's what I'm, uh, as I'm worried about. So anyway, I, so let's, uh, let's all be optimistic as we head in. I think what I have noticed about Greg, and Jeff, you alluded to it a little bit, is his rotation of players. It was almost like you're trying to keep everybody in the mix. And I just don't think that works on the national team always because you've got to have your top 11 players, get the win, see who's, who's fit, who's, who's okay who's recovered quickly and then get to the next game. This whole rotation thing, I, I've never quite been a fan of. And it almost seems like he's kind of showing off with the amount of depth he has. It's like, just, just put Pepe in, see what happens. If he gets, you know, gets the goals, he stays until he's replaced. Um, but it seems like, uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what yeah. you thought on that. I, I think the dynamic changes a little bit when you have the, the three games now in the, in the smaller window of seven exactly. days, you know? So it's like you have two simultaneous processes. You have one in which you're trying to arrive to your first team. Cause when you get to a world cup, you probably can play your first team more often than not. But in order to qualify, you got to go a little bit deeper and you got to rotate. So it's, it's a version of a rotation plus a version of trying to find your first team. Those things have to happen at the same time. I'm curious, Jeff, what do you think in terms of the team right now? Like what positions in your opinion do you feel are rather solidified going forward? If there was a, a final tomorrow, what do you think the, the core of the group looks like? 
Well, I think the midfield, the three, the three man midfield, that's, that's set. I mean, everyone's MMA. calling it the MMA midfield, yeah. you know, McKinney I love it. and Adams. Um, I think if all Who's three of those guys are healthy, you know, you'll see them on the field. Um, and Jeff, not to cut you off, but they're all different, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, I think that's, that's awesome. the, the key is they, they yeah. complement each other really well. I mean, you've got, you know, Adams, who's, who's just his, his work rate and energy and ability to cover ground, just add a lot to the U.S. team defensively. I think I love McKinney. I've always loved his, his late runs into the box, you know, where he, he just gets on the end of things. Um, I think he's also kind of the emotional center of that team. You know, I, mm. you know, it's on the field. I think guys need to follow his lead a little bit more because he's willing to, to send messages with fouls and, 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 kind of drive home that the U S isn't going to get pushed around. So right. um, I think he's important. And then um, I have to go hold that thought. Sorry. Yeah, no worries. I think, you know, what, what Jeff was talking about, it's like, uh, you know, Musa can hold the ball really well. I like that. Um, you know, McKenny, I think what I like about McKenny is he'll knock a guy on his ass and then he'll, he'll ask him to, to uh, he'll hold his, he'll put his hand out to help him up. It's, it's yeah, that's the new thing. Yeah, that's a new yeah. thing. Although I will say about that's a head Fox, game, man. That's a head game. I know, but I got to say, when we're whatever zero zero with a Honduras or something like that, you know, I don't want us fouling in bad parts of the field in our half yeah. around our eighteen. Like I, I'm all for kind of putting your foot into the game, but at the same time, I think we need to be smart, especially in Concacaf with not allowing a team into a game when they shouldn't get into a game, you know? So we've been pretty good with our possession or positional play that we're dominating matches in many ways, at least in CONCACAF. We got to make sure a in CONCACAF that we don't give away free kicks when we don't need to. And then we got to make sure when the bar goes up, like if you give a free kick, I've been using Germany recently as an example, you give a free kick to Germany, you, you may pet. There's a good chance you're going to pet. So we need to be a little bit more efficient. Like we have this huge mobility in the midfield, but we got to be efficient with our fouling as well. I think yeah, uh, I mean um, you were talking about the some of the positions. I mean there's a lot of like top 3 I think at the moment. Like th I think the you know you're picking out of the three center backs of Zimmerman, Miles Robinson, Chris Richards. Um I think Anthony Robinson has kind of seized that left back spot. Um right back probably Dest. Um so I mean there's not a lot of, you know, I don't think there's a whole lot of debate about what the, the best 11 is looking like. And then, you know, the wide attackers, you know, you've got Pulisic, Weah, Aronson, and then Reyna when he comes back. So I think you're picking out of those four. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what impact Reyna's return has on the lineup. Um, and, but the big one for me is, is striker. Um, yeah. You know, that's, that's still just the, the big unknown. Um, you know, goal, you've got Stefan or Turner. I think everything, everyone being healthy, I think Stefan probably gets a nod. But again, up front, I mean, you know, you can't blame Berhalter for not trying stuff. I mean, right. you know, I think he's – he gave Josh Sargent a shot. He gave Daryl DK and Jordan Pivak a shot. Um, Artis, you know, now, now Pepe. Um, the one thing and – and I've said this a lot of late. One thing I would like to see is when he constructs his roster, what I don't see in the, in the group of forwards is someone who can score an ugly goal. Like, just be that battering ram. You know, DK's injured now, unfortunately. Um, you know, but, you know, I would love to see PFOC come in near the end of games and, you know, be able to, um, uh, you know, again, just kind of 
be that force in the box. That, that, and, and then you saw it a little bit with Pepe against Canada. When he came in, I thought he started asking a lot more questions of, of the Canadian center backs and kind of forcing them to make decisions and, and challenge for things. So, um, but it, it seems like Burhalter really values mobility mm-hmm. and pressing, which is why you're seeing guys like Zardis and Jesus Ferreira get minutes on the field. And so, you know, I think Pepe is the best hybrid of, of, out of all those guys. Um, and he's just – his movement in the box, I think, is a cut above all of those guys. So, um, to me, that's, that's the one position that is really still up in the air. Yeah, yeah I, agree with, I agree with that, Jeff. I'm sorry, Kevin. I agree with that. I think the question that, that I think fundamentally it comes down to in terms of the attack is, you know, being committed to playing a nine – and, and that's where they're rotating certain guys in there versus, you know, get away from that commitment and just put your three best attackers out there, whoever you feel those three best are. And, and if that means you don't have a nine, then you don't have a nine, you know, and I think that that's something that kind I, of a Liverpool, Liverpool model. Well, whether you want to call it a false nine or be a little yeah. bit more mobile, you know, I mean, this comes down to where I think, you know, there, there's a philosophy question behind Greg. And I think Greg likes things to, to fit quote unquote, and, and if we're going to have positional play and where guys are in boxes, if you know what I mean, then, okay, on paper, the textbook says you need a nine that, that does X, Y, and Z. But at what point is it better served for our team to be more interchanging and more mobile with a front three and just put your best, most talented players? That might unleash Pulisic a little bit more. And that, I think, is where Reyna could bring a lot of football to the table. And the group might go to another level if they go to that. It's possible. Um, you know, we'll see, we'll see, you know, where Raina gets deployed when he comes back. Um, mm. You know, it's, uh, I guess I'm, I'm a little bit more of a traditionalist <laughs> just in terms of what I want to see for my center board. I mean, yeah. maybe not just traditionalist, but I, I want to see a, a roster that that's capable of throwing some different looks at people or mm-hmm. at teams. And that's where I think having a PFOC or a DK, if he's healthy, it just forces teams to adjust to something very different. And so uh, I, I agree. Yeah, I agree. I think if Reyna is one of the top three attackers, though, if we end, ever end up getting to the day where we all agree that where Reyna is one of the top three attackers, then yeah. he needs to be out there. And he's not a nine and he's not really a winger. So you're better right. suited giving him some license. And I think you'll get a little bit more out of Pulisic if you do the same. But if we're a little too scripted with stuff, we may, and I'm just arguing out loud, we yeah. may be stale in front of the goal and not create as many chances as we want to, which is something that we're seeing from the games in the eye test and also from a data point of view. So maybe we can keep the same kind of possession ideas and, and, and the same positional play ideas, but find some more freedoms in that attacking part um, to, to open up the game a little bit for our best attackers. It'd be interesting to see if he can evolve to that point. I just want to see them come out early uh, and instead of just maintaining possession, just be a little more dangerous early because they seem to be, uh, you know, they're always digging themselves out of a hole. And, uh, and, you know, again, that whole possession argument, you know, everybody, it's like one of the first things players, well, we had all the possessions. It's like, yeah, so what, man? It's like the old arsenal. You have all that possession or Barcelona, and then you lose the game. So Jeff, the Dutch used to talk all the time. You know, they played the better football. But uh, yeah, exactly. you know, the result is king at this stage. Well, I guess some of the, the main media, sports media, you know, they generally don't uh, follow uh, soccer. I always love when they chip in with their ignorant comments sometimes. But one of the things that Berhalter got uh, some heat for was saying like, hey, we, we were the better team, obviously. 
And then pardon the interruption and all those guys are like, hey, man, you lost. You lost the game. Where are the excuses? So they don't really know the subtleties of the game. But, you know, even people who know the game are like, yeah, possession's one component. Putting the ball in the back of the net is another component, and it's uh, more important. So uh, so let's switch uh, quickly, Jeff, to, to MLS. Uh, give us an overview. What's, what's happening in the league right now? Any, any big changes? Any, I know Shakiri's going to Chicago. I think that's pretty good. That is a, that's a big signing. I mean, yeah. you know, we'll see. I mean, that's a, that's a team that's really struggled, you know, to, to get, I think they reached the playoffs maybe once in the last nine years, something like that. Mm. So, I mean, it's been some, some grim years uh, for the fire, um, you know, but obviously they're going to have to put a team around him um, and we'll see, you know, what they're able to do on, on that count. But um it is a big signing, and it's it's a it's a signing I think to get people excited, and um, I think Chicago needs that because they, they've really been an afterthought for so long, and and they, and for them I think the pandemic hasn't helped because they are moving back to Soldier Field, yeah, and I think they're hoping to get a bump out of that, and then it was kind of you know deflating you know through no fault of their own, um, you know that they that the pandemic hit and, and they weren't really able to kind of celebrate that you know the return to that venue yeah, um yeah. it'll be it's it's been impressive you know just i think uh some of the players that have come in you know i mean douglas costa was announced today you know the brazilians going to the galaxy and then um you know tiago almada goes to atlanta i mean it is interesting that i think atlanta has like maybe the top three transfer fees paid all time uh but none of the previous two, neither of them, you know, Ezekiel Barco and uh, Pity Martinez really did all that much in the league. And so, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's the old adage, it's not enough to spend money. You've got to spend it wisely. So I think that they'll be hoping that um, they get a little bit more mileage out of Almada. Um, but it's, it's been an interesting offseason. I mean, a lot of teams splashing the cash. I mean, you're seeing a kind of another wave it's not the first wave by any means but another wave of south american players that seems to be a market that is really being mined and exploited um and more brazilian players too i mean i I think uh you know i I think in the past it it was extremely rare for brazilian players to come to mls but now you know and costa is just the latest one i think you know you you see more interest there and um you see more players coming in so uh, you know, it's, it's getting more and more competitive, I think, w- which is great. I mean, that's, that's what you want. Um, right. You know, I think there's been a little bit more accountability. I mean, you, you do see coaches kind of getting fired and um, with, with a little bit more frequency. So, you know, I think it's starting to behave a little bit like, you know, other leagues around the world. Now, granted, I think some leagues take it too far where teams like burn through four coaches in a season. I think that's, I don't think you want that either, but right. um, you know, you do want, you, you do want there to be some accountability and some pressure, you know, to perform, uh, uh, you know, beyond just, you know, their own personal motivation. Three rides over maybe yeah. even for the national team. Now there's a lot of heat as a coach there. Yeah. What's the latest on Josie Altidore? I think that was one of your uh, The last I heard is he's, he's going to new England. Um, it, what's weird with that move is like the mechanism, the roster mechanism that he's actually ending up there. Um, cause the, the thought process during the whole off season was that, well, Toronto's going to exercise their one-time buyout of a guaranteed contract. So he doesn't count against the cap, mm-hmm. but then if you're going to stay in MLS, you have to clear waivers. And so it's not, I think it, it's noticeable that, or notable that the 2022 roster rules have not been released yet. 
So I, I think this is an instance where the league is kind of almost winging it a little bit, and yeah. it's which really shouldn't be happening. But it's gonna be a Josie Altador, Kurt Flood rule kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be – I mean, I, I think he will end up in New England. I mean, everyone that yeah. I've talked to said that's going to be the case. And um, listen, if that guy can get fit and if yeah. he can get a, a consistent run of games, you know – you know, we'll see. I mean, we'll see if he ever gets called back into the national team again. I think, you know, again, I talked about mobility earlier, and I think the player that Altador is now, I'm not sure he provides enough of that for Greg Berhalter's taste. Right. But, um, you know, listen, if that guy can get a consistent run of games, I mean, you know, who knows what's possible. And he's got a player in, or a coach in Bruce Arena that he's familiar with. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Oh, you know, with that comment, if you can get fit and get a good run of games. I think I had you on about five or six years ago, Jeff, and you might have said the same thing. <laughs> Probably. Probably. So, so. so, well, Jeff, we've enjoyed talking to you. Is there anything you got coming out or coming up that, that we can look for? Uh, you know, it's the usual preseason MLS stuff. And then, um, you know, it's just, uh, again, yeah, trying to stay on top of the league. And obviously – it's not that going to be that long until the next international window. So, I mean, that'll be a, I know. a big, a big uh, talking point. And, you know, I'm sure everyone in the U.S. soccer community is hoping, is hoping that, you know, two months from now, you know, we're, we're talking about the U.S. qualifying and not uh, having to sweat a playoff or anything like that. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I mean, it's, it's uh, again, like I said earlier, there's still a lot of work to do. Yeah, I think another month or two for the collective lump in our throat to subside and we qualify for the World Cup and then start to play some friendlies where we can see some players and what they can do. So, And, Jeff, you're always right there on the ground with it all, uh, covering it for, uh, for us here in this uh, future soccer power uh, that, we've, uh, that we've always been with. Jeff Carlisle from ESPN, thanks so much for joining us on Over the Ball, pal. All right, anytime. Always oh, great talking to Jeff. Uh, did you know him, Chris, before this or – no, you know, I don't know him personally, but yeah. I've seen his name a billion times. I've read a trillion of his words, and I appreciate him. Appreciate him, and I, I, you know, I see him with ESPN, and then I think of, you know, I, I know we have Bob Lee on the top of the show, his voice there, and it just he's like the grandfather voice that helps me through soccer, and uh, always love to have ESPN on the show somehow. Well, coincidentally, I'm on the road for two weeks here doing the whole Florida thing. Uh, and I'm in Key West at the Key West Comedy Club this weekend. Bob Lee is here. He has a house here. So I'm actually going to dinner at his house uh, right after we record this. But it's funny. I was here about three years ago before uh, quarantine, uh, before the pandemic. And I'm sitting with Bob. His back is to uh, – we're on a porch, and his back is to the porch. And then the, the, below the porch is a lower level. And so people are eating dinner down there in the restaurant. And I, they kept looking up. And I thought they were looking at me. You know, they must have followed my indoor career. <laughs> Or maybe they're at the comedy club. I'm not sure. But they kept looking up. And I'm like, what are these people looking at? I'm just about to go, hey, you people have a problem down there? What's the story? This uh, kind of 21-year-old kid comes up and goes, uh, excuse me. Uh, and he says to Bob, are, are you Bob Lee from ESPN? He's like, yeah, yeah, I am. And he goes, oh, my God, that voice. We're all sitting, you know, tw uh, 10 yards away, and they hear his voice. So it wasn't even him, his face, but his voice. Was the golden pipes of Bob Lee. I, uh, I certainly miss it. I miss it uh, with the, the U.S. games, I'll tell you that. Uh, so yeah, if I had an, uh, a designated intro, I'd be picking his. 
he, yeah. he would be my designated intro. Well, he's, he does our intro at the top of the show, so we'll have, uh, we'll have a bunch of people do intros, but I like Bob's. That's a, that's a good one. So, uh, hey, I want to ask you this question. So, you, you know, you've, you follow the ins and outs of uh, all the leagues. Um, what is it? The, the women's uh, national team, the U.S. women's stars, they, they've demanded accountability from U.S. soccer. Uh, nine women. And that some of the top ones, like Kristen Press, Crystal Dunn, Tobin Heath, Carly Lloyd, um, they signed a letter basically saying that uh, they stood by, U.S. soccer stood by and continued as abuse occurred. So uh, do you have any insight into that? I mean, first of all, their relationship is horrible. It's amazing. Never gets yeah, better. It's, uh, it's been unfortunate. I mean, we're, tr- we're all trying to enjoy pro leagues here. And, mm-hmm. and on the women's side, the NWSL – is great for for the women who are working for the coaches you get opportunity for the young women in our country for the young girls and boys to watch pro soccer at any level mm-hmm. is fantastic yet now we're hearing these stories that you know there have been some unfortunately some male coaches who have uh not really been professional with how they've spoken to athletes with how they've conducted themselves with athletes and there have been some communications from the players you know basically running things up the flagpole to their respective clubs to the commissioners to u.s soccer and looking for support that hasn't always been there and 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 now we're realizing that the problem was much much deeper and much bigger and there's been a lot of pain because of it so the nwsl has had to reflect and they've had owner they've had commissioner changes now and and they're just trying to put a little bit more transparency behind everything in terms of the hiring and the professional standards that everyone deserves but the commissioner was a um was a woman right and people and the women didn't feel safe going to the commissioner well apparently they ran one or two things up the flagpole I, i believe it was uh uh, Alex Morgan uh, had let the commissioner know, hey, there was an issue. And the commissioner said that they did their due diligence. And, uh, and in fact, that, that wasn't necessarily the case. And there was abuse going on. And so with a lack of transparency, Alex Morgan took the step of, of putting some of the exchanges out on social media. And so now we all know that these concerns were there and, and, and the women were trying to get help and, and there wasn't, you know, that help provided to them, the support provided to them to have a safe work environment, which you all deserve. So, so that's where there's... But, but let me ask you this, Chris, because look, you've been in locker rooms your whole life, as have I. Um, some bad stuff goes down there. Abusive, you know, coaches yelling at me, top getting my face, grabbing my shirt, pushing me up against the wall, you know, like uh, stuff that really... Uh, I guess maybe is not in, in vogue anymore. If it ever was that sort of coach that can yell at you. And we always think like when a, when a male coach has problems with the coaching male team, it's always of the sexual nature, like some sort of inappropriate uh, relationship or something is a lot of these complaints about the nature of just coaches yelling at players and and people kind of is You've coached men and women. Is there a way that you can speak to men in a locker room that you can't speak to women in a locker room or vice versa? I mean, no. I mean, you know, I just met with our staff the other day and and I said, look, if we're having a meeting and whether it's individual meeting or a team meeting, you know, we should be able to communicate in a way that if Carlos Vela was in the room, that he would look at us as professionals. And it's the same thing if Megan Rapinoe is in the room. We'd want her to look at us as professionals. So the rest is nonsense it's just being about being professional Mm -hmm. and about talking to players in a way where they feel that you care 
and that you're growing forward. So now, okay, yes, the old days of some of the things you mentioned, putting your hands on someone. I mean, that's not the way anymore and it hasn't been in a really long time. And even the loud voice, I mean, I think we all know as coaches that if, if you do that more than once or twice, the players are going to tune you out. And even then, you, you, you know, I can, I, I've been around pros for many, many years and the number of times that it goes to loud voices is very rare, you know? So it's not that stuff. It's the side comments and the side conversations that could be manipulative, mm -hmm. that could lead to uh, a difference in, in status within a team. Sometimes players feel pressure from a coach and that could be exploited and it could lead to some abusive situations. And that's something we should have zero tolerance for. And that's what the women are standing up for. And I certainly support them. And I hope that we all do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, I was thinking of one example, because you look at it like a coach, like let's say Belichick for the Patriots. I remember, I don't know, probably five, six years back now uh, when Bob Kraft's wife was still alive, she heard some of the things that Belichick said to the players in the locker room. And she said, well, that's inappropriate. A man should not speak to another man that and I'm like, oh my God, you know, the way, uh, yeah, I guess maybe what you're saying is, uh, it's over. That's a, that's a way. And also look, I, I talked to coach Calipari, basketball coach, and, and he said, yeah, you can yell at a professional player once, maybe twice a year. After that, they're kind of like, screw you, man. And they zone out and you don't get anything out of them. So I think, you know, uh, the, the best coaches and correct me if you think I'm wrong, are almost psychiatrists. Like you're just managing people, you're managing people and you have an infrastructure that, that is a professional one. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, if you do your due diligence as a coach, you're going to learn for the most part a rough body of knowledge of X's and O's that is roughly similar. Then coaches, you know, massage that and use their art of coaching to make that unique to who they are in terms of their style and their personality. But above all else, it's management. It's above all else. It's just human interaction. So, you know, we, we, we wouldn't or couldn't or shouldn't yell at our kids every single day, you know, so why would we yell at our players every single day? It's the same kind of environment. You want a trusted environment. So you can challenge people without being uh, abusive. And I think that's where coaches who are a little uh, less uh, experienced, maybe they don't understand that. But I think if we evolve as coaches, we get to a place where we just have normal professional interaction and can still create high standards. I remember I was on the beach with my family and my nephew uh, ran across some people's picnic uh, blanket that was laid out. And I, I grabbed him. I said, what the hell are you doing? Get over there and apologize to people. My mother was like, you put your hands on him and you yelled at him. I'm like, yeah, where was that when I was growing up? <laughs> <laughs> so I guess things have changed. So, uh, hey, uh, we got to get going here. Um, but before we do, Alistair, I just want to, Alistair uh, um, St. Hill, I want to, our producer, uh, welcome to the program, first of all. Um, but also want to ask you uh, to read that number out again for callers. This is a great thing, you guys. Uh, when I was at Sirius XMFC, we were able to have phone calls back and forth. We've been trying to figure out a way to get, uh, you know, some interaction with the people who listen to the program. Alistair's got a number for us. So Alistair, what is that? They can call, they can leave a, a message, a question, maybe ask uh, for a future guest, whatever it is, but we have a, we'll have a, a line that you can go to. That's right, Kevin. The number is 424 229-2247. That's 424-229-2247. All right. Uh, make some comments, whatever you need on there on that number. God, maybe we're opening up a can of worms. I don't know. But uh, Chris, how things going with the, setting the infrastructure together with your new program? Yeah, it's, it's uh, look, we're in LA. It's like 80 degrees today. It's gorgeous. <laughs> and we got out on the field today. It's only a couple of practices under our belt, but we're 
excited to be out there. I think, you know, the student athletes uh, are in the books all day long. So getting out to the grass is their best part of the day. And us as coaches, whether it's recruiting or paperwork, you know, that's the part that we hate, but getting on the grass is the part that we love. So those two hours, that's our sanctuary and, and, and we're, we're, we're loving it. That's like me traveling and then getting up on stage. That's what it's all about. So, and yeah. then also with that weather and the, the beautiful fields you have, you know, that's quite a recruiting tool you have. Yeah, we so. got real lucky. I mean, this facility, you know how like in LA when the, uh, when these pro teams come in to play their like preseason friendlies in July and whatnot, and they'll play at the Rose bowl or whatever. Well, they all set up for a week or two typically beforehand and, and, and train and use this as part of their preseason. LMU has historically been one of those sites. So we've had, Barcelona here, Tottenham here, uh, Man City here, all these amazing teams that have come through. Uh, you know, that's something that's always been a treat for our campus. Fantastic. Another, another recruiting tool you have. I, I, I'd go there. Um, You're in. If I, had, if I wasn't an old man. All right, great, guys. That was awesome. I'd like to thank uh, our guest, Jeff Carlisle, today uh, for Chris Shamides and Kevin Flynn and Alistair St. Hill. Uh, we will talk to you next time on Over the Ball. <laughs>